All right, turn your Bibles now to Mark chapter 15. And we're going to look again at this section of Scripture we were at last time. And we're going to look at, in more detail, one aspect of it that we didn't really have time to, to explore. And is a great truth here for us to focus on. In verse 38, of when the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And uh, verse 37 says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And there's the point, the moment when Jesus died. He had cried out, it is finished. And then he said uh, under his breath, he said, Father, receive my spirit. And he died. And at that moment, it says the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's talk about what that means and uh, the reality of this. That was the veil in the temple. The temple was built by Israel, by Solomon particularly. That was a dwelling place of worship for God. And you had sections of that temple where you had the outer court where they brought the animal sacrifices where they made a shed blood that allowed a person to approach God because that is what God accepts as an atonement for sin. And we say, oh, that's... A lot of people object. Well, that's cruel, killing animals. Well, the reality is to teach us reality is that sin is a serious matter. Sin is a matter of life and death. Sin will kill us. It'll shed our blood. And so we've got to come and acknowledge that and deal and God deal with that. And God allowed a substitute sacrifice with animals to come and represent his atonement to forgive us that would be fulfilled ultimately in the Lord Jesus' death on the cross as the Lamb of God. All the Old Testament sacrifices in the temple were just a picture to point to what Jesus would do as he hung on the cross for these three hours from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon to the point where he breathed his last, that was the point of all those animal sacrifices that Jesus would give his blood for us. So they would bring the animals into the, beginning, the opening part, the uh, outer court of the temple. They would kill the, the animal there and burn the body on the altar. There was then an inner sanctuary that was called the holy place. And it was a building you would go in, only the high priest could go in there. And on one side of the wall were lamps, seven lamps that were burning that represented God's light, His Word. And then there was a table of bread on the other side that represented life from God and His Word. And there was an altar of incense that they would burn. And it represented prayers of God's people up to his presence. Then at the back of that called the holy place, there was a huge thick curtain. And behind that curtain was the most holy place. It was the inner sanctuary. Behind that curtain was where God's presence would come down and receive the sacrifice. The blood would be sprinkled on top of a uh, a wooden chest that was covered with gold called the Ark of the Covenant. 
on the top of that Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim whose wings covered the mercy seat, which was a plate of gold to where they would pour the blood, sprinkle the blood. There were angels' wings that would cover that. That's what we talked about in our study here the last couple of weeks is what the angels would do. To kind of focus on God's holiness and direct focus on that place over the mercy seat. This is where God would dwell, His presence would dwell, and where He would receive the blood of the sacrifice to forgive the sins of the people. That was behind the curtain. God literally came down in His own presence to receive that blood. For that reason, no one could go back behind that curtain. If you went behind that curtain, you would be struck down dead immediately. Because you would be bringing your sin into the holy presence of God, and God cannot allow that. God will protect His holiness. God cannot be corrupted. And He does that out of protection of the whole universe. If God became corrupted, the whole universe would dissolve. Because God's the one who holds everything up. And the reason He can hold everything up is because He's purely, perfect, holy, righteous. He never has any wrong thought, never a wrong intention, never a wrong action. That's what makes God, God. And that presence was behind that curtain. And no one could go back there. You would be, you would be uh, burned in an instant. There was one time a year, though, that someone could go back there. Only one person, the great high priest, the most high priest, could go back there one time a year on the Day of Atonement, which happened at the seventh month toward the end of the uh, Israeli year, on their special festival called the Day of Atonement. And they had to sacrifice a certain number of lambs and bulls, calves, and they took that blood, a special sacrifice, one time a year, and that high priest had to have that blood when he walked behind that curtain. If he did not have that blood, he would be struck down dead because he would violate God's holiness. But one time a year, he could go behind that curtain with that blood, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and God would come down, and he would receive that. And then the high priest would go back out and wait for the next year. And he would be atoning for the sins of the people all that year. All of that pictured Jesus. It all was climaxing to then this moment of what we just read is that when Jesus died, He was providing the atonement blood on the mercy seat. But not on the mercy seat of foremost on the earth. We read that the earthly temple was just a copy of the heavenly temple and that in heaven around God's throne there is a spiritual temple that is like that the earthly temple was modeled after. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus brought his own blood into the heavenly temple and offered it there to God on the heavenly mercy seats. You read Revelation 4, we read it the last couple of weeks in our study of the angels, and you read it there and it says that John said, I was brought up to heaven and I saw the throne of God and around the throne were seven lamps just like the earthly temple, like that holy place. It's, it's exactly the same in heaven. And there were seven lamps. And then there was a huge water basin out front. That was another part on the earthly temple before you went into the holy place. The earthly temple was laid out just like the heavenly temple. And Jesus went into the heavenly temple and there was a mercy seat there at the throne of God and He offered His blood. Now at that point, the question becomes... Will God accept that? See, He only accepted a certain sacrifice on the earth. And if it was a wrong sacrifice, even if it was a wrong sacrifice made without a wrong fire, with a wrong kind of fire, 
meaning the fire, if it was any other fire except the fire from the altar there at the temple, it wasn't accepted. There was one time in the Old Testament where uh, Aaron's sons brought in burned incense with fire that did not come from off the altar, and it was unholy fire. God struck them down dead. He didn't accept that offering. They were offering incense, but they did it wrongfully. He didn't accept it. The question, really, in, in a real question of this is, as Jesus brought his blood, did God accept it? God either accepted it or he rejected it. And the answer is pictured here in this situation where the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. It's significant, I think, that it says, these, these details, it was torn from top. The fact it was torn from the top to the bottom means God did it. God tore that veil from the top to the bottom, showing that he had accepted Jesus' sacrifice that he made in heaven. And that there was no longer now a need for animal sacrifices on the earth. That's why he tore the curtain. He was saying, no longer do you need to do this. Because I've now accepted the blood of Jesus, my son. And now there is forgiveness available from now on to anyone who will come to Jesus. The tearing of the veil communicates to us the acceptance of God of this sacrifice. And he tears it to say, no longer are you kept out now. No longer do you have to bring these animal sacrifices. Now you can be forgiven through Jesus. So the first thing that we notice about this is God does this as an act of saying, I have accepted the blood of my son as the eternal sacrifice, the one sacrifice from now on, as the one sacrifice for sins forever now. And the book of Hebrews makes that point in a great way. The tearing of the veil communicates that to us. A second part of that is, now, it tells us we now have access to God. The veil kept out people from getting into the presence of God. The tearing of the veil by God says, the door is now open. I invite you to have a relationship with me personally. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to send a priest in for you now. You can come in yourself. That's what the tearing of the veil meant. No longer are we kept out. That's a very important truth of the New Testament we have and that we as Baptists have very much emphasized rightly is to say we don't need priests anymore. That was the Old Testament system that had a place at that time, but it ended here now and God showed that with the tearing of the veil. And that we, are not, we don't operate that way anymore. We don't have to send a priest in to God. We have to stay out. We can come in our own selves now. We can come in the very presence of God. And tearing the veil told us that. And that's a wonderful thing. And the book of Hebrews talks about this. It says, now you can come to the very throne of grace yourself through Jesus. You don't need a high priest anymore. 
And he actually says, other places in the New Testament say, you're actually a priest now. You can come in yourself. And that's a wonderful part about God's salvation is we now have access to God. We're not separated from Him. We have access. God's opened the door. God has an open invitation. But following the dynamics of the temple, we have to understand this very important truth. To come into God's presence means you have to forsake your sin. You cannot bring in your sin to God and expect Him to accept you. The temple taught us that. That God had to stay separate from sin. And that sinners could not come into His presence. He loved them. He wanted them to come into His presence. But He could not allow sinners to come into His presence without being cleansed. And that is true for us today spiritually. We cannot come into God's presence with our sin. We can only come in. The door is wide open for anyone who will come through the blood of Jesus in forsaking their sin, repenting of their sin, and believing on Jesus' death. The invitation is wide open. But they must leave their, you must leave your sin. Jesus is very clear about that. I read it this week and reading through Luke and my Bible reading. and Jesus, it was a teaching. Jesus said that... Uh, if you come after me, you must take up your cross and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And he said, if anyone is not willing to forsake all for me, it's not worthy to be my disciple. He actually says, you can't be my disciple unless you forsake all to follow me. What he was meaning is all sinful things. You must be willing to forsake sin to come into God's presence. And that's the call of Salvation is you come and repent, forsake your sin, and you come and you can find forgiveness and God's door is wide open to receive anyone who will come to Him in repentance and faith. It's a wide open door, but it's a wide open door of cleansing from sin. A lot of people look at that and say, well, uh, why, can't I just, why can't I do what I want? Why can't I have my sin? Why can't I just have both? And a lot of people try that. They try to say, I'm going to come and even try to be religious, and I'm even talking about Jesus, but I'm going to hold on to my sin, and I'm going to try to have both. Why won't God let, let that happen? Because God knows sin will destroy all of that. You can't have a relationship with God and hold on to sin. God can't have a relationship with a sinner and them hold on to their sin. Sin destroys it all. Sin is the enemy of life. God knows that more than anybody else. And so he says, you can come in. The veil is torn. I invite you to come in. But you must be forsaking sin because that's all the, what the cross was about. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying to pay for sin, to remove sin from the earth. That's what the crucifixion was about. He was dying for sin. And so the invitation is, you must die to sin. You must forsake sin and walk that road of open access to God. The door is wide open of holiness, which is the path of life, which is what you really want, is what you really need. And God has a wide open door of invitation for life. He does not have an open door for you for death. God doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to be destroyed. That's why he says you can't bring sin in here. You've got to forsake it for our own 
good. It's like a patient that goes to a doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry to inform you of this, but you've got cancer. You've got cancer. And you've got to do such and such. And I'm not getting into debates about the treatments, what's best and what's not. But just think about from the perspective, the doctor says, you need to do this, this, and this, and, and, and this will cure you from cancer, and you can be healed. And imagine that patient saying, doctor, I really want you know, to have a relationship with you and I want to be your patient. I want to keep coming back here, but I'm not going to do anything that you just told me. I'm not going to do any of your treatments. I'm not going to cooperate with you. I want to keep my cancer. I'm going to hold on to my cancer, but I'm going to keep visiting you as your patient. Does that make any sense? Would that work? Would there be any use to doing that? That doctor would look and say, look, I want to help you but if you're not going to do anything I say, and if you want to hold on to your cancer, there's nothing but you for you but death. So there's no reason for you to come back to me. It is a waste of time. You are wasting your time. You're wasting my time. I want to help you. I'm all here for you. My door's wide open to help to heal you. But if you want to hold on to your cancer, I'm sorry, I have nothing for you. That's exactly our situation with God. And with every person that says, God, why can't you let me hold on to my sin? Why can't we just all get along? Why can't I just hold on to my sin and you accept me? Aren't you a God of love? And God says, yes, I am a God of love. That's why I want to heal you. Because I want you to live. And that means you've got to turn from your sin. God says, I want to get sin out of you. Just like the doctor says, I want to get cancer out of you. That's for your own good. And for a person to say, no, I want my cancer. I like cancer. Cancer is not your friend. Cancer doesn't stop till it kills you. You can't live with cancer indefinitely. It ends in death. Same thing is true with sin. You cannot live with sin and, and, and experience life. It will kill you. It'll kill you spiritually and it'll kill you physically too. It'll kill you spiritually and that's why God says, my door is wide open for you and I want you to live but you've got to turn from your sin. And that's what the temple was about communicating. And that's what the veil was about saying, that door's wide open. Come in now and be healed, be forgiven of your sin. So the tearing of the veil speaks to the access we have to God. Now there's one further picture of this that I want to mention and press, and it's really exciting. And, and it's very much a part of what is true of this. Look with me quickly at Revelation 4 that I mentioned earlier. I want to show you something with this. Revelation 4. <clears throat> we have the scene in heaven. Verse 5 is what I mentioned. There are seven lamps of fire there burning before the throne. Verse 6, there's a sea of glass like crystal, which is like the big bronze basin that was around the temple. This is, this is the heavenly temple. What is, go back to verse 2 and 3, what is the centerpiece of this heavenly temple? Immediately I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. What is the centerpiece of heaven? The throne of God. 
And it's a heavenly temple. The earthly temple was modeled after the spiritual temple. That inner place, the inner uh, most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, that was in the location of the throne of God in the heavenly temple. The mercy seat paralleled the throne of God. In the earthly temple, God's presence would come down upon the mercy seat. That's where it would come and be centered. And that's why you couldn't walk behind the veil. In the heavenly temple, that is where the throne of God is. That's where He sits. And that is exactly what we find recorded in the book of Ezekiel, that in the, heaven, or the uh, millennial temple, the temple that will be rebuilt for Jesus to have during the thousand-year reign, it says... He will go into the holy place and sit on his throne there. That that's where the throne of Jesus is. There at that mercy seat behind the veil. So, with that knowledge, now with the temple, the veil rather being torn, here's a third aspect. We are invited in to the very kingdom of Jesus to serve him as our king on his throne. And the door is wide open to that. And that is the greatest privilege in the world. You know, when somebody gets elected president, everybody clamors to try to be in the administration, try to get this position, that position. Oh, and I get this appointment? Wow, that's good. Well, I got this appointment, I got that appointment. Everybody clamors for that. Wants to be in a position in the administration of power. When Jesus comes back, he's going to set up his throne on the earth. He's going to reign over the earth. And the greatest privilege is to be a part of his kingdom, be a part of his government, be a part of his administration. If you're still there, I hope you're there still in Revelation 4. Look at chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That tells us that we're going to be in Jesus' kingdom and be his servants be his officials, and be his priests. And that's going to be centered in the temple. And the veil being opened means we have an invitation to be a part of that kingdom. And in fact, that's what Jesus preached over and over. He said, the kingdom of God has come near you, and I am the king, and you can receive me, and you can be a part of my kingdom, and you can be my servants in your kingdom. And that's the greatest privilege in all of the universe is to be a part of the administration of the king. And the veil being torn is a communication of that, is that we now serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are going to be in his kingdom. And that's the great uh, reality of the future that we're looking forward to. And we're going to be a part of that. That's a part of his good purposes for us, is to be kings and priests for him. And those who have served Him here on the earth, He will reward with positions in that kingdom. Just like we even do a similar thing. You, you campaign for somebody, you'll be part of a presidential campaign, and what usually happens? You get appointed. They pass out rewards of uh, appointments in positions. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus is going to do that. He's going to reward His servants who served Him during that, this time 
with positions in his kingdom at this time, and it'll all come out of the temple with him on his throne there in this place that was behind the veil and it's now open. So no longer are we shut out. We're not separated. Sin separates us from God and the, the great work of Jesus on the cross was to say, I paid for the debt. You can now come and be forgiven. You can come into the very presence of God. You can be close to God, whereas before you were far away. You were his enemy. Now you're his friend. And now you can even be his servant in his kingdom. And here's the great work of Jesus is salvation. And the veil is torn and it's all now available for us. And that's the greatest thing we can be a part of on the earth. But you have to see it by faith. You have to see this kingdom by faith. With eyes of faith that you believe His Word, you believe these things are true, and you believe God's right about sin. And you trust him and you follow him this is his salvation it's about more than just saying oh, i'm gonna have eternal life forever go to heaven it's about a whole life of everything that you could ever want and it comes through god's salvation from him and we have access to it we're not separated anymore you gotta let go of your sin but we're now we can now have life with Jesus as our King, as our Lord and Savior, and as our God. And so in that moment, it was all accomplished. And it uh, has been calling people down through the ages. And people after person after person have opened their heart to repent and believe. But it's everybody's choice. But God's Got an open door if you'll walk through it. How sad it is of all the people who hear about that, even know about it, and choose to walk away. And Jesus said there will be many, many, many who will do that. And how sad that is. Because you trade all of the greatness of the throne room of God for the darkness and the pain of hell. They're both going to last forever. What an awful choice to choose that door and to die in hell forever. And that's why Jesus went through all the torture of the cross because He was trying to save you and me from that awful reality. But we must come to Him and be saved. Well, let's close our eyes and Let's have a time of prayer. And would you think about this great work of Jesus for you? The door has been opened. You can have forgiveness. You can have a relationship with God. You can be a part of His kingdom. But you've got to forsake your sin. And you've got to put all your faith on Jesus. and Believe in Him of who He is, the Son of God. As the soldier said there at the cross after all this happened, he said, truly this was the Son of God. And he believed. You've got to repent and believe. And the one who does, you have an open door to God. But if you do not forsake your sin, there is no, there is no hope. There's no other way. So I encourage you to turn to God, open your heart to God, whatever way you need to today. 
and forsake all sin in your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great sacrifice for us out of your love to die on the cross, to stay on the cross and all the pain and torture so that you could shed your blood to say it's finished and it's paid up and that God could accept that so that we could be forgiven. Thank you for making that access available and to all the glories of heaven, all the greatness of your, your throne room to serve you, the great power of the universe, the one who possesses all things and has everything that is good. And uh, we rejoice to be able to serve you and we look forward to your return when you will sit on that throne from the temple in Jerusalem and all the earth will be renewed. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Save us from our sin and uh, help us to serve you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.